Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today, we are joined by Ina Kuznetsova, the Chief Executive Officer at 1010 Data. Ina, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I mean, the thing I love about doing my job, I mean, doing a job every day, Anna and I talk about this all the time, we get to meet some really great people, and the conversations just kind of strike up in places you wouldn't expect it. And you and I just started, I think you like something LinkedIn. And then the next thing I know, you know, we're starting a conversation, getting a dialogue, and then we connect on the phone. And so I would just love to hear, you know, I got the full, you know, understanding of who you are from that whole conversation. But who, for everyone listening, who are you? And what does 1010 Data do? So I'm the CEO of the data analytics company called 1010 Data. We're based in New York City. We're actually celebrating 20 years uh, anniversary this month. It's a big month for us. Uh, What 1010 Data does is uh, transforming data into knowledge and empowering customers to make decisions rapidly and transform their businesses into fast-changing market conditions. To be more specific, uh, we provide retail analytics uh, and we work with very big clients. Our average client has several hundred rows, billions of data, which we process in real time. Um, During COVID, we had to start doing some of this analytics in 15 minutes increments to provide for the changes in sales and supply uh, for some of those uh, items. So we can crunch very big amounts of data. So we use this capability for internal retail analytics to help customers uh, manage their promotions and their sales and prevent fraud and uh, answer some ad hoc questions like how do I increase the average size of a basket? And we have some great anecdotes about it actually. Uh, But also we help our customers to share data with their CPG community. And this is a very important thing to do during very volatile uh, COVID times since uh, suppliers cannot plan demand, cannot manage their assortment, cannot manage their supply chains based on the last 52 weeks of data. The data changed tremendously, and uh, throughout the conversation, I can drop a few numbers and examples. But <laughs> I think we might ask you to do that at some point. Absolutely, yeah. like you know, just to throw in a conversation starter. Yeah, well, furniture jumped up seventy percent in the first ten days after the start of pandemics on March ten. And that was very natural. We all went to work from home, and we suddenly realized that kitchen table is not the most useful, you know, not the most comfortable place for your back, and that probably little Joe needs his own chair and a table because of this online classes, right? So after uh, 10, 11 days, the numbers started coming back. And uh, interestingly enough, went down to almost lower level than last year, and after a bit of fluctuation, evened out, right? The same happened with pet food. Pet food jumped up 40% since the beginning of COVID. And uh, the reason for that was, of course, we all stocked up, not just for ourselves, we stocked up for our cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. And then after 10 days, it went down to negative level year to year, because guess what? Until Fido eats through first two bags, you probably don't go to, to buy bag number five. Right. 
right? And um, you start waiting. Some of those cats I had to and say, no, maybe having too much food at home is not the best idea here. Right. So, um, so you know, those just examples. Suppliers need to plan for their stockouts. Suppliers need to know how to spread that truck of toilet paper between two different stores of the same chain in the same zip code, right? And our data shows that the velocity of sale of the same product differed tremendously depending on the proximity of a hotspot, right? So all of this data should be coming from retailer to the CPG providers on a real basis, right? And there is a silver lining. Retailers always suffer from very low margins and COVID only contributed to it because of the cleaning and the smaller shifts and the all the rest of the issues we had to deal with. And sharing data is also a great way of data monetization. And if you sell your data, it's 100% profit, which is probably about 100 times more than what retailers <laughs> usually get. So um, that's, that's one, of the, one of the ways we help the industry, right? But besides uh, retail analytics and data sharing with the CPG community, we also have solutions based on alternative data. We have a, a small army of data scientists and mathematical models, which we apply to a third party data. And we're talking alternative data, location and weather and credit cards and uh, your browsing data and uh, receipts. And we can derive very interesting insights into the consumer behavior and changes of that behavior, including how, not only how much sales changed and how volatile it was, but also how the visits to the stores changed. And in some cases we saw, uh, like in the famous case of office furniture, the sales went up, but the visits to the stores went down. All of the sales happened uh, happened online, right? So uh, so this, uh, this is what we do, and I hope this describes it. And I'll just mention that we have uh, some really great customers, uh, some of the biggest names in the industry, like Dollar General and Sam's Club, that we are proud uh, to call our customers and uh, about 900 of uh, CPG providers who either use our alternative data uh, solutions or data sharing solutions uh, through the retailers hub. Yeah, and those are, and Sam's Club, especially some of our favorite retailers, especially when you talk about omni-channel and the bridge of online and offline and crossing that divide, so to speak. I want to come back to that too, but you mentioned I want to. You mentioned in in the, in the early part of that discussion. You said you know you're on your twenty. This is your twenty year anniversary, and as you were talking, like one of the things that struck me is actually this is not, especially when you talked about like furniture and how fast you're able to get that data and see how it's moving and what that what the implications are of that. That's not that different than how like Wall Street tends to manage and optimize their portfolios, and your guys' legacy is in finance. So tell the audience too about. You know, what does that all mean in terms of what the approach is here that you guys are taking in terms of, you know, trying to help retailers and CBGs? So I will start with a very interesting story of how 1010 Data came to be, because I think it's such a typical New York story. Okay. The company was born right after 9-11, when the publisher of New York Stock Exchange trade books perished in the World Trade Center. And to open the stock exchange had to have information about past trades. Every day they were publishing a book of trades. It looked like yellow pages, right? And it was pulling together data from a lot of data sources and the data had to be harmonized. Mm 
So New York Stock Exchange made a handshake deal with our founders. They didn't even have time to walk through all the legal details. And we started harmonizing data for New York Stock Exchange and providing these financial details to enable the industry to restart a very important process again. So for us, it's super symbolic that on the 20 years of 1010, uh, and it's in 2020 to make yeah, it right. more mathematically rhyming. Yeah. Uh, with like the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Right. right. Well, you know, I like I love numbers. Um, we started the year by helping the retail industry to weather the COVID climate. And because we have uh, the platform that was initially designed for mortgage-backed securities and huge amounts of data and very fast processing, we did not have to write every application, right? We have all the data in one platform. We have ability to pull data from dozens and dozens of different sources, and some of them unusual and new. So we quickly added data for, for COVID and hotspots. We added data for unemployment. And we started producing virtually in a few days after the announcement of pandemics, different types of reports for our customers. We did not have to write the new applications from start. It was in the platform and our analytics ability allowed us just to provide a report very quickly, make it a standard application and service our customers. So prior to the pandemics, the main reports were around customization of sales and customization of services, right? Promotion effectiveness, um, right. basket affinity. During the pandemics, it all shifted to the supply chain and started producing totally new reports, such as the daily report on zero scan stores, right? What are the stores that have not scanned your product in a week? Because it means one of two things. Either this product right. is not sold during pandemics at all, or they're completely out of stock and you need to rush it. Even if before you had the delivery once in three weeks, they are now out of stock. You need to rush it before you lose two weeks of sale. Uh, we started providing reports on the velocity of selling the same product in different stores of the same chain. And those stores may be very close to each other, but let's say they are close to a hotspot in New Rochelle, uh, New York. And there is another store of the same chain and someone lives right in between. They probably would go to the other store, right? They don't want to come too close to New Rochelle. So that influences uh, the sales velocity and the stock in requirements, right? And of course, no CPGs uh, want to pay fines for stock out, but even retailers don't like to assess stock out fines. They want the products on the shelves, right? right. So that's, uh, that's the story of how we took uh, the financial platform. It, used it for retail some real examples and this is 20 years of our life if you want into stories you know what how quickly you know you mentioned because that was one of my questions is you know in your 20 years how have how have the teams within these retailers and brands changed or evolved that you've been working with to supply data to and and you kind of answered that especially in the case of of the pandemic and you know really providing data to the supply chain teams but how quickly can your company kind of adapt that information or change that information? So in the case of the reports that I've mentioned, it was the num it was virtually in days. Okay. One of 10, 10 data's trademark, if you like, is the speed of implementation because of the robustness of the platform and skills and data harmonization. Uh, one of the largest data sharing hubs in the world, and I mentioned one of these customers, was deployed in just over three months. 
three and a half months for, from zero to the full platform sharing data between a very big retailer and uh, the CPGs, right? Mm. So we we can do those things very fast because we have standard reports, we have standard plugins for dozens and dozens of data sources, including supply chain, including uh, some unusual things, alternative data. And uh, also because we have data scientists on board who do this work themselves, right? Because we don't have to take this to write a whole application from stuff, right? We just pull data in the platform and uh, create the application based on the output from the platform. So uh, in terms of the evolution, um, in the first 10 years of the company, we, the company predominantly solved uh, the financial problems and they were a bundle, right? And uh, mortgage-backed securities was one of the biggest uh, consumers of uh, data processing, right? Imagine you have a huge a set of mortgages, you need to predict the probability of certain set being prepaid or being defaulted, right? There's quite a lot of different data sources to pull in from credit data to the state of economy to the personal history crunch it all together, come up with predictions. And uh, the company was very successful doing it and still very successful, right? We have not talked about our financial clients because it may be less interesting for, uh, for the audience, but uh, we are in this business still very much and we have a lot of who is who clients, uh, Bank of America and Citibank and some of the household names who rely on our services in fixed income area. But uh, around 2008, 2009, the amount of fixed income work and just the number of origin mortgages originated started declining. But interesting enough, at the same time, retailers started looking at the data more seriously. So the process happened very naturally. We started growing the retail business. And initially, a lot of this work was about creating the harmonization of data and answering ad hoc questions. How much broccoli do we sell in all our products, right? Or my, one of my favorite early stories was a large chain of discounters asked, how can we increase our basket? We know that the average uh, number of, them of numbers in the basket is between uh, uh, five and six items. And every single platform or data analytics company they worked with took averages and they could tell them average by state and they could take them average by uh, you know types of products but and they could tell them the average by the basket we do not take averages we have a different approach we look at the data in a very granular manner because we process it in a parallel fashion so we started kind of unrolling in the back and saying it's not about average of five six it actually comes as a big cluster of customers with already seven, eight and more items in the bag. But the reason you average is six is because you have about 40% that has only one or two items in the bag. And they said, oh, that's easy. We know what it is. It should be calling chips. And we unraveled to the next level again, said, no, it's not. It's actually the phone cards. So putting the phone cards in the plastic and in the back of the store so that the customer doesn't just run to the cashier lane and grabs the card, but walks through the store and maybe picks some of those chips and call and be on the way, may be a really good way and turned out to be to, uh, to improve the category and the number of, uh, the number of um, items, right? Um, so this was a lot of ad hoc, a lot of increasing baskets, increasing sales of a certain category. My other favorite example was, uh, again, uh, a study with it with one of the CPGs. And uh, based on the sh data they got from their retailer, 
and they wanted to increase the sales of the painkiller category. And uh, the solution was very elegant. Put it next to the knee braces. Because you probably don't shop for the knee braces when everything is nice and fine, right? You probably are in pain, so you see a painkiller, you, you grab a bottle. So uh, so there was initially it was a lot of that. But I think uh, what we've seen in the last few years, the retailers and CPGs both became much, much more sophisticated. Okay. And uh, it, the, the work evolved from just answering ad hoc questions, though right. some of this still come in, to much more regular and daily attention to how effective was the promotion. And did that promotion cannibalize another category? Or how is my uh, fraud prevention working, right? And there are lots and lots of different algorithms, sometimes proprietary by chain, you know, like you look at the number of returns scanned by the same seller in certain amount of time and uh, certain, you know, cash versus credit card transactions and how the same seller handled them. And uh, there are certain things that can be done in uh, just regular supply chain sharing, right? So we talked about the COVID uh, times and uh, all the work there. These reports, uh, you know, some of them come out weekly, but a lot of them come daily. And during the peak of COVID, we had to switch to hourly and even 15 minutes frequency of the reports. Wow. And I want to talk about that too, because I think, you know, the word platform gets thrown around a lot. So I want to talk more about like what specifically that looks like, especially in terms of the collaboration, you know, and how you, and, and how you make that work between the retailers and the CBG. But before I ask that, if, if, I would assume, and tell me if I'm wrong here too, you know, but I would assume that like if finance was like a 10 in terms on a scale of one to 10, if finance is a 10 in terms of knowing how to leverage data, which I got to assume they are, and you've watched then this evolution of retail, where is retail now in relation to them? And, and what do they still need to do to continue to kind of, you know, meet and exceed, uh, you know, the level that they're playing the game? So I will revert to my statement about not taking averages and assigning too much value to it, Because not all retailers are created equal. We see some CPG companies and some retailers being much more sophisticated in crunching data, having all the data in one platform, distributing supply chain data to their CPG providers, constantly evolving the levels of data sharing, right? It's very important that retailer does not just sell the data out and let someone else decide what is being shared, but retains the ownership of the data. And uh, it may be a, a bit slower and steady monetization, but it allows retailer to constantly talk to their CPG community and understand what they want and do not want to share and when and how they want to share. And of course, then it becomes our job to figure out how to answer these questions, how to organize, how to actually exercise the sharing between the retail and the CPGs. And even in this uh, process, we see different CPGs uh, sharing a different level, right? Some of them would just get the basic number of several reports. Others may get 25, 30 different reports, right? Some of them may get data on a weekly basis. Others may request data on hourly basis. And a lot of it is uh, dependent, of course, on their volume of trade in a particular retailer and how robust their product line is and how many assortments you have for that same, uh, some, how many versions you have you know, for that same product, right? How many packages, different packages of the same cream or the same uh, soap right. cream. But also it depends on their internal ability to adjust their supply chain and change their promotions based on that. 
And um, that's why, you know, I think uh, not all retailers are created different uh, or are created equal. But another side of that coin is when I hear about retailers being hit by COVID, I still remember that there are some extremely successful retail chains, right? So, for example, when you look at Dollar General that uh, opened the thousand stores over the last right. year, right? right? And uh, doing very well and providing communities with the jobs and uh, and f- fresh food uh, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of very much needed items, right? So I think uh, a lot of uh, a lot of success going forward on the retail side will be dependent on the sophistication in the use of data, ability to roll out data monetization quickly, mm-hmm. not get it too much enamored with very long uh, building house products, and uh, there is nothing wrong with build your own system, right. except for a two-year project, right, is one thing, right? But using a company who does it on a regular basis may get you there in three, four months and you are operational. Yeah, and can structure you, structure right. for you in the way you want. Yeah, that makes right, sense. Right, right. D- different times. I mean, you know, some of us still, you know, hire architects to build our own houses, right? But most of us prefer just to move in and start living, right? So, um, so there's a lot of differences that we see today in the... And I think we will see even more because with the um, emergence of omnichannel, with a more of a bopis uh, and curbside pickup and all forms of delivery uh, taking hold, um, there's much more shift of the focus towards using very recent data, not just data for the last year, but data for the last several weeks, uh, using a very granular approach um, across uh very local approach, not average by state, but down to the zip code approach, mm-hmm. and uh, and sharing the very recent data and uh, very different type of analytics. Well, and that's why, real quick, that's why I wanted to do this podcast with you because I I remember when we first talked, you shared the anecdote about the phone card, which gave me a whole different impression of like what is impulse purchasing and how does it happen? And you start throwing in things like curbside pickup and buy online pickup in store that's flipping the script on impulse purchasing altogether. So like being able to see that in a different way is really important. But the other thing you said to me that I'll never forget, and you've alluded to it a few times and you even kind of hit me with it when you said you don't like to speak in averages is you said something to me, like you said, I think it was, I'm going to misquote it a little bit, but you said geographic clustering is no longer relevant. And like, yeah, how, what, tell people what you meant by that in more detail and, and especially in light of this like omnichannel evolution. Yeah, I think, I think what you're referring to is the fact that um, even in the past, certain promotions had a local or state level, right? Probably running a promotion for grids in New York will not be as effective as one of the southern states. But over the last year, the volatility based on county level and zip code level and individual store level has become uh, tremendous, right? And uh, a lot of it is dependent on when the schools are opened or closed in different counties. Right. My friends in New York State area have an ongoing subject of conversations where the kids go to school online versus where the kids go to school in person. Where the kids go to school or stay at home influences what kind of food you buy for the kids. Right. Whether mm-hmm. you pack their lunch or whether yeah. you can feed them lunch at home. Yeah, right. When the whole family is at home, we all eat at home and it impacts 
you know, very small, interesting fact. Uh, we saw the fast food restaurants dipping down with all the restaurants, but then starting recovery much, much faster than, of course, than fine dining and sure. business casual. And we also saw a very interesting story that the number of visits remained much lower than last year, but this, uh, the sales recovered much faster than the number of visits because the average check became much bigger. And why did it happen? Because we don't eat in the office anymore. We eat at home. So if someone has a run for the lunch, it's the lunch for the family. Right. Right. So small things like this, what type of food is sold, right? We saw a lot of changes in consumer behavior. And a lot of this comes not from our retail sharing data, but from our alternative data and mass models and online analysis. But, uh, you know, the growth or decline of certain categories have been phenomenal and has been uneven, right? So in the first week of June, I remember looking at restaurant data and uh, the sales in restaurants in Florida were going up and in New York were going down, hmm. right? So mm -hmm. taking average without looking down to the county and probably New York City was very different from New York, if you want to dive in mm -hmm. further down of upstate mm -hmm. New York, right? That influences how you plan demand, how you do, what you deliver to what stores. Um, so I think that's that's a good example. Uh, Instacart purchases, right? Okay. We would think that during COVID, Instacart grew across the board, and it's true. Uh, prior to March, uh, we monitored Instacart. That's one of the data uh, important data points that we monitor uh, in our alternative data solutions. We knew that they added, uh, on average, 19% of new customers per month. Right. So every month, 19% of the customers were new. Never used Instacart in the last 12 months. Okay. And we knew that 65% of them stayed for the next year. Right. Great, very predictable model. And then suddenly, during the two months of COVID, April, um, March, April, May, we got the jump. Right. In April, it was 46% year to year. Very similar date in March and in May, right? So uh, that means a lot of people were forced to home delivery. Right. Then in June, it went back to 20%, still higher than before the COVID time, but not necessarily uh, at that same aggressive level. Mm -hmm. Great story, but let us look one step down, right? And look at different states. And you will see that the growth of Instacart in New York jumped by 16% from um, uh, 11 to 27% of all the purchases of food made, right? It's tremendous, right? Okay. And in Texas, it started, it went just by 10% up and it started with a lower base, 8% and it added just 18%. Texas was closed much less than New York was, right? More people shopped in the stores, distances were bigger. Uh, lots of reasons, right? How you can explain in Florida, mm -hmm only went up by certain percent from 8% to 20, right? So this is on the state level. I think if you start drilling down, you may start seeing more differences because when you think New York, upstate New York would be behaving very differently from New York City. Right. right? So that's what, uh, another example is the one I mentioned before about the proximity of the store to the hotspot. When you have that one truck of toilet paper, how do you spread it between two stores or two clubs? should be really defined by a lot of data because otherwise you end up with a stock out in one place very quickly and a bit of an overstock in the other one, right? Yeah. So uh, that's that's the local data, right? Getting uh, this, this is why we provided 
our reports on store level, uh, zero scan stores, uh, different velocity of product sales, uh, sales uh, by store, because uh, we saw a lot of differences. And those differences were not just Texas versus New York. They were between different clubs in the same zip code. Mm-hmm. Ina, you can tell you're very passionate about data. I have to say, you can tell it excites you. <sighs> How are you then taking, I think, you know, as a, as a person who's worked for a retailer, you're gathering data to make a lot of the decisions that you're making. There's so much out there, I feel like right now, especially because of COVID. And like you said, the Instacart numbers are coming at you. You're getting all this information. How is 1010 data kind of uniquely positioned to help me in my role as a, as a merchant or in a retailer to take and analyze that data and apply it to things, especially when you're getting reports every 15 minutes and you're trying to really manage that data and make uh, some some progress out of that. How do you work with those retailers? So, I mean, there's a lot of companies who are just one company solution, right? And in this case, it becomes, uh, you know, the nail in search of a hammer, right? We have a great, 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 great nail, right? But um, in our case, uh, we can solve a huge number of questions related to data, and some of those may not even be used by your competitors today. You may have a unique question, right? And we can help it. So we really start by talking to the retailers about the point in their journey and their um, priorities, right? Some retailers have loyalty programs, and that allows you to tie uh, data down to a specific um, customer, right? And then you can look at that, uh, of course, the data is anonymized, but you can look at history of purchases. You can run um, promotions. You can pull, you know, names for or addresses to send coupons because you have the history of how many times you bought goat cheese over the last year. So probably if you buy it three or four times over six months, you're not an occasional, you know, eater of gold cheese, but right. probably steady lava, right? So we can probably send you more coupons and be more successful with it, right? right. For, for, other, for other stores, this whole story is not actual at all because they don't have a loyalty program, mm. but they may have digital coupons and we can use the digital coupons and phone connections to identify and credit card data to identify the same things, merge different streams of data and figure out how to run a promotion or how to retain customers that are new customers during COVID who were not shopping here before. So different stores have different problems. Uh, Supply chain may be one. One area which I would call very generic, if you are not sharing your data with CPG's community, that's the area I would look at at the first uh, blush because that probably is the sure way to improve your profitability. in most cases, does not require front investments. Uh, we recoup our costs um, from uh, the data, from the purchases of the reports. So this allows you not just to monetize the data, it allows you to improve your relationship with CPG community, provide more information to them, make your data work not only for you, but for them, and through them get more results for what you do. But as I said, you know, since we are not a one application uh, company, right, we can help in the variety of those tasks. And it strongly depends on the area of the journey. 
someone came to us recently with a fraud protection, right? And there's a very clear analytics you can discuss there, right? May not be actual for someone else. Uh, some retailers start experimenting with uh, cameras and uh, robots in stores. We right. can easily integrate that data, right? In, because of our data harmonization capabilities. So there is lots of uh, different uh, situations and uh, we're always happy to have that discussion. We have people versed in retail languages spending many years in retails. They're even more passionate about retail than I am about data and they'll be much better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, that's possible. Uh, yeah, that seems like hyperbole. But, but I, I said I'd come back to it, and you brought it up there, and then we can close on this, and then we'll do our, you know, our favorite game. How many are you? But this uh, talk about supplier. Talk about the collaboration between the retailers and suppliers a little bit more, because I, I think that is important. You're seeing a move toward that. We've long evangelized that as as a, just a valuable thing to do. Like, what does that actually look like? So like, am I, is there like a portal that I'm going on to that's connecting all this and you guys have that figured out and you can dial up or dial down depending on what wants to be shared by a retailer? Like how yeah. simple all is of the, all, 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 all of the above, right? All okay. of the above, right? We, 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 create, we create a portal and we discuss with the retailers exactly what types of reports they want to create and what are the levels of pricing that they want to set for different types of the reports and what they don't want to share if they don't want to share right that's equally important and we discussed with the cpgs what may be the most valuable for them and sometimes have this three-way conversation and we have of course a lot of experience uh, having a lot of portals we manage today so we don't come with what do you want to do we come with you know here's what we here's what recommend right and some of our experience but we also want to make sure that uh, each retailer with the individual character and suppliers and the nature of loyalty programs um, can influence how things are done and uh, you know can it's a collaborative effort Yes, but, but because the portal is a standard, uh, because we have uh, this capability, because we right. have similar portals running, right? right? We virtually roll out portals like this is three, four months. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot of knowledge just benefit in, built into that in terms of like, we've seen what people are using it, what retailers, what data is valuable, where you can monetize it. Uh, you're right. I mean, I never, I've never thought about that. That does seem like some pretty quick wins. Yeah, and, and it's not as straightforward because you have to deal with a very complex and almost unsexy thing, which is data harmonization. Right. Right. Uh, retailers we work with have from 50 to 100 different data sources. You have different point of sale systems. You have different ERP systems. You have loyalty systems. You have all kind of uh, information you want to plug in so that mm -hmm. we can then crunch the data and correlate data based on different parameters. So we have the standard plugins for a lot of those data types, and this is what makes it fast. But we also have people who are very experienced in plugging this data in. And a lot of the work in setting up the system is really getting all the data in, cleaning up the data, right? Because the data, unfortunately, does not always come perfect. And this is an understatement. Right. right. So in many cases, uh, unclean bad data can ruin your reports, right? right. And bad reports will, will, you know, illustrate the typical garbage in, garbage out expression, right? So yeah. we have people who who work on making sure those reports are test, those data sources are tested and clean. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, there's all that grunt work, but knowing where the low hanging fruit is and what the ultimate mm -hmm. outputs are that retail. Yeah, 
employees can join to benefit from. It's it's you're kind of understanding that already just based on the work that's already being done out there. Exactly. There's a lot of sausage making behind mm-hmm. the meal, right? But it's a nice meal in the end. Very nice. All right. Well, cool. Well, we've got a we got to do it with you. We've been we've been talking about it, and now we're sitting down. And we're gonna do it. And so, Anne, how let's, millennial are you? Ina? Let's do it, Ina. Ah. The first question: When you're paying for groceries, are you pulling out a credit card at checkout, or are you using some form of mobile payment? I use credit cards. Uh, I live in a rather rural area. I'm not in the city. Most places around here only use credit cards. And in fact, I know quite a lot of stores and restaurants that only take cash. Really? I not say anything bad about Bergen County, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the story, right? So, um, okay. Hey, no, I'm not a millennium. I'm a mother of millennials. So. Yeah, and what do, you, what do your millennial <laughs> kids think about that? What do they think? I, I don't write checks, right? So that's, <laughs> I, that's true. That's true. You got do those kids even one. know how to pay in those restaurants? I'm curious. Like cash only? What I mean, what do they do? Do it's like smoke? Oh, well, the, you know, there's usually an ATM somewhere <laughs> on the streets, right? And some of those, like some breakfast places, they may be fantastic. Or just uh, first, first time, first time when we moved to New Jersey, we were surprised that such places still exist. We think it's, right. maybe it's a part of rural charm. <laughs> <laughs> rural charm. We'll take that one. Yes. Uh, well. The next question. I can, tell you, I can tell you my special story about this, though. When I came to the U.S. from Russia, um, you know, during my life in Moscow, during Perestroika, we started with electronic banking, right? Because there was no banking at all, right? Yeah. And then when the banking was established in the early 90s, it jumped right into the mobile times, right? So I knew how to pay for my utilities and everything else. You go online, you type it in. So when I moved to the US in in the end of 96 and we opened a bank account and they gave me the stack of paper. They said, those are checks. And I, how do you use it? I swear they almost closed my account. (laughs) And I said, don't you have an electronic payment method? Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of places still require checks. So I'm still surprised that, you know, in a few areas, you still need to use That's like the greatest story I've ever heard. Oh, so my God. You know, Eden was paying via digital electronic channels before, before anyone even was thinking about or concept. You know how to go analog. I was yeah. almost 30 years old, and I have no clue how to drive a car with automatic or write a check. You know, you might have just taken the entire game in all of the history <laughs> of how millennial are you. Um <laughs> Okay, I'm going to ask you the next question. How many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from an app? So uh, we're on Wednesday, right? So midweek. I guess I get credit for not the full week. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. If we count the cat as the member of the family, it would be three times. Three times. Okay. Three times. I, I cook. I'm a big cook, so I don't uh, get. I sometimes we get uh, a meal delivered, but usually, usually I prefer cooking at home. But all my vegan food, all prepackaged, all cat food, all coffee pods, everything comes from us. Okay. Okay. Last question: If you could only use one social platform, which one would you choose, and why? So I would be really torn here because um, I was born 
in Russia during this gun with the wind times when my whole class ended up in six, seven different countries. And then I worked for IBM and civil logistics, big international companies. So I ended up with several hundred friends living in probably about 40 different countries. So without Facebook, I would be out of touch with half of my family and most of my childhood friends and uh, a lot of my community. So for me, Facebook is not the place where you discuss uh, politics or fashions. It's where I keep up with all the kids and cats and diseases and how his mom is doing. Uh, so in that sense, Facebook is vital. But my favorite platform is probably still LinkedIn because uh, mm-hmm. a big part of my life is uh, my business life, right? And uh, that's how we met. It's my community, met. right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, you can strike a dialogue with a lot of very interesting people. So, uh, of course, you know, used other platforms as well, Instagram and everything. But the problem with use of the platform is it's not about the platform itself. It's the network, mm-hmm. right? It's who is on the platform. So uh, for me, you know, Facebook may not be my favorite platform as is. Right. But as long as all my childhood friends and even my my first grade teacher is there. Yeah. I have to use it. That's a point that's not talked about enough. Anna and I've talked about that a few times too. Is yeah, there's just a stickiness to Facebook. Uh, and we don't hear that that often too. That's actually probably mine as well. But I think there's a stickiness to Facebook for the same reasons that you just described, yeah. you know, that yeah. make it such a powerful force, mm-hmm. especially when you think about enjoying with Instagram too um, and everything they can do. But well, hey, that was, that was good. And I don't, I don't, how did she do? I don't know. Definitely, definitely the most interesting, one of the most interesting uh, question sessions we've ever had, especially the story about checks. Yeah. I mean, I'm still processing that. So I'm, yeah, yeah, so was I, as I was trying to get, I'm to get that out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I'm a cool. afraid they will take my, my account away. It was a recent immigrant. <laughs> I, can, I, I can imagine sitting there. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. ago. <laughs> yeah. Like going to set up your first bank account. I, I asked them how to fill it in and they had to explain. Right. What is it? What is the, I still don't know what the memo line is if it makes you feel any better. So like, yeah, I know, but I totally get it. Um, well, Hey, in all seriousness, just to close us up it, you know, if people found, if, you know, li- people are listening or watching, found this conversation interesting, there was a lot here, a lot of great anecdotes. If they want to learn more about 1010 Data, if they want to get in touch with you, like what's the best way for them to do that? So you can either go to 1010 Data website and we're very diligent about responding to all the comments. I actually get a lot of comments and requests. You can find me personally on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. And uh, as you press now, I usually respond to LinkedIn requests within 24 hours. So it's a relatively safe place to apply. Oh, you're quick. Yeah. And thank you too for your support too. You're definitely one of our super fans in terms of all the content we're putting out there. And we, we appreciate that wholeheartedly. So, so again, everyone listening, Ina Kuznetsova, the Chief Executive Officer at 1010 Data. Ina mentioned it quite a few times. It's a changing world. Can't be thinking about averages. So <laughs> as always, do it, do it the way you need to do it and be careful out there.